I don't believe there's ever been a better time to be alive. You know, I've always been insatiably curious. I wore my teachers and my parents out with why that question. Maybe you were like that. Maybe you have kids like that today. Uh, I think it's an amazing time to be alive because you can research about anything at the the tips of your fingers. Uh, You can look up and find out about just about anything. And uh, you have to check your sources to make sure they're accurate. Uh, But if you do that, you can find out about whatever you want to know. For instance, this week I I spent some time researching cryptozoology. How many of y'all been doing that this week? Uh, So everybody's looking at me like, what is that? You know, you may have done this before and you just didn't know it uh, because it's just recently that this field has kind of been created. It's, it's the study of, it's regarded as a pseudoscience, the study of creatures that are rumored to exist but haven't been proven. There hasn't been credible, definitive evidence proving these creatures exist. For example, and these creatures are called cryptids, uh, Bigfoot, the Yeti is one of these chupacabras. These are one of these. And when I was a young boy in the 70s, uh, <clears throat> there was another of these that I was fascinated by. I saw this picture in a book at an early age, and it, it's of a creature that's purported to exist in Loch Ness in northern Scotland. This is commonly called the Loch Ness Monster, right? And this picture was taken in 1934 by Colonel Robert Wilson. He was a surgeon, uh, he was reputed, you know, reputable, respected. And so he took this picture and everybody, uh, this has been one of the, the prime pieces of evidence for the Loch Ness Monster for many, many years. And so as a boy, I believe there has to be something that looks like a dinosaur still living in a lake in Scotland. Well, I believe that for many years. In 1994, an article came out in the London Daily Mail and it showed this. Now, the three pictured guys you see there, they all were, along with the Colonel Wilson, part of a conspiracy. And they were conspir- part of a conspiracy to, to cook up a, a picture that looked like something that it wasn't. You see, this little model that they made was really only one foot high. They took and cut out something that looked like a, a brontosaurus head, a, a sea serpent, and and they, they painted it gray, and then they mounted it on a toy submarine. And this guy on the right, Christian Sperling, he actually was 90 years old in 1993, and he confessed. He didn't want to go to the grave with that on his, uh, his uh, heart, and so he confessed that they did it all, uh, they made it up, right? And so anytime you have a cryptozoology study, you try to gather evidence and you try to see what kind of evidence you have. Well, today I I want to approach the empty tomb as an object of study. I I want us to to really think about the empty tomb today. I I want us to think about the different possibilities or perspectives we might have on the empty tomb. I don't want us to to just assume that the the gospel story is, is correct. I want us to really dig into it and wrestle with it. You see, we have a saying, seeing is believing. Seeing is believing, or maybe we put it in a negative way. I'll believe it when I see it. Well, in the scriptures, and particularly in the Gospel of John, that's what we've been studying the last few weeks, Jesus, the life of Jesus through the eyes of John as an eyewitness. We want to look at John 20, verses 1 through 9 today. I think it gives us three different perspectives on the empty tomb, and I want us to dig into those. The first perspective is told 
uh, from the eyes or through the eyes of Mary Magdalene. And she tells us that her conclusion was, on that early Sunday morning, uh, her conclusion was uh, that it must be a case of thievery. He must have been stolen. Acts 20, verses 1 through 2 reads like this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. You need to start with this fact. Mary finds an empty tomb, and there is no one that disputes that where there had been a body on Friday, after being crucified, Jesus' body was prepared by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, like we talked about last week. It was anointed with 75 pounds of myrrh and spices and wrapped up multiple times in linen. It was placed in this tomb, Joseph's own tomb, on Friday. Nobody disputes those who have reason to believe, those who have reason not to believe. Nobody disputes that there was nothing in the tomb except the linens and the cloth folded neatly, put aside. The, the Roman soldiers don't dispute it. The historians don't dispute it. The, the chief priests, the Jewish folks who have reason to not want it to be true, they, nobody disputes it. So Mary goes to this tomb, and we read a couple of interesting things. And, and what kind of is a central part of our investigation today is, is three, four times you see in these nine verses a word which means to see or saw or something like it. In this passage, Mary gets there. She's going uh, to anoint his body to, to pay honor to him like many of us do. We go to a gravesite to honor our loved ones. She's, there, she's going there. Why wait? Well, if you're a good Jewish person, uh, Jesus was crucified. He died at 3 on Friday afternoon. Uh, the, it took a long time, and they rushed to do it for Joseph and Nicodemus to get him in the grave. But at sundown Friday, the day of Sabbath started. And you were to do no work all day uh, from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. Uh, Saturday sundown, that restriction on doing no work lifted. Uh, but the ladies weren't going to go on uh, when it was dark on Saturday night. So she goes on Sunday morning and she sees. You know what that word means in Greek? She saw. It means she visibly with her eyes observed that the tomb was empty. And it says we. Well, you might know that all of the Gospels wrote about the ladies going to the tomb, but other writers write a different, they give different names about the ladies that went. Some skeptics say, well, there's proof. There's proof that the Bible is made up. I actually think it strengthens the case for the veracity or truthfulness of the Scriptures because it's just like us. If a group of us saw an event and we were called to talk about it, to tell what we saw uh, a month or a year or five years later, we would probably tell slightly different stories, wouldn't we? Because we saw it in different ways. And I think, in fact, it's only a sign of collusion if we all told exactly the same story. The Gospels tell it a little different. But it wasn't just Mary Magdalene by herself. It was Mary Magdalene with some other ladies, and they all saw that the tomb was empty. For example, in Luke chapter 24, it says, When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. That is, where the disciples were holed up, where they were hiding out. Now, to be fair, the ladies and the disciples, they have to be in shock. They are in grief 
They're in mourning. What they expected to happen, Jesus somehow to, to bring to bear a political, a, a military kingdom again, to make Jerusalem rise again, the Jewish kingdom, Israel, to rise again. It, it hadn't happened, and, and he'd been crucified. But they're hiding out. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. Each of the gospel writers has slightly different names. But they did not believe the women. The disciples thought, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. In fact, this word means, uh, their words seem to be like idle tales. They, like they just made it up. You know, that culture was very chauvinistic, paternalistic. Men didn't think highly of women, and, and that's what we see. But it's, it's those ladies. They all go and they see this thing. But Mary, John focuses on, Mary comes back and says, what? Her conclusion is, he had, so they took him. Somebody stole his body. Now, let's think about what possible reasons could there be to have an empty tomb, which everybody agrees the tomb was empty. One possibility is that Jesus merely fainted on the cross. It's called the swoon theory. That he appeared to be dead, but he wasn't truly dead. Now, to counter that, you really, if you think through it, Roman soldiers did this for a job. Every day they were at crucifixions. They knew when somebody was dead, but to make sure, they would jab spears into them, as they did with Jesus. They'd jab a spear into his side, and a mixture of blood and water flowed out. If you talk to uh, somebody in the medical field, this process actually happens in human beings. When we pass away, our bodies, uh, the, the blood and the water start to separate. It's a visible fact after a person's dead that proves they are dead. Likewise, you have a pulse and a heartbeat. These Roman soldiers knew death when they saw it. Counter that and, and add to that with the fact that Joseph and Nicodemus spent uh, probably a couple hours at least, with his body, anointing it, wrapping it. Uh, if he fainted, surely he would have stirred within those two hours. Uh, surely they would have felt a heartbeat or a pulse. They would have stopped wrapping him up. But even if they, the Roman soldiers, were fooled and Joseph and Nicodemus were fooled, then Jesus was placed in this grave and, and he would have had to to get up in the weakened state that he was, take off all the stuff that was on him. He would have had to push this stone, which was on an incline, sealed on the outside. He would have to push it from the inside out, up an uh, incline, uh, to get out. The swoon theory, I think, is pretty out there, if you ask me. So then we get this other theory, the stolen body theory. Now, credence to this is given an uh, illustration of it in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, beginning with verse 11, while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city. Imagine what these guards were thinking. I mean, they'd been knocked out uh, by the appearance of the angel and all these supernatural events that happened. They wake up and they're thinking, what? We are dead men. We are in trouble. Uh, we go talk to Pilate. We go talk to our boss. I mean, we might as well be signing our death warrant. We, what are we going to do? They went to the city, reported the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised the plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So it's a conspiracy theory. 
So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated, circulated among the Jews to this very day. It also is a possibility for anybody that maybe is skeptical that Jesus really was raised. Well, let me talk about that for a moment. Let's think about and think through this. <clears throat> Let's say the disciples did take the body and, and they, uh, even through their grief, they continued to, to preach. It tells us on 50 days later, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached about the resurrection. In Acts chapter 2, it's all about the resurrection. And 3,000 people were baptized. The church began, yes, we're, we're going. We've overcome this temporary problem. Well, that might, you might believe that. But then I want you to think about the fact that as they started to preach and come into conflict with authorities, with other religious uh, people, as they started to get arrested, as they started to get beaten and tortured, as some of them started to lose their lives for this resurrection story, the, the gospel of Jesus they were preaching, don't you think at least one of them might have said, no, nah, I can't, I'm out. Wrong, we, we made this up. You know, my previous job at Atlanta Christian College was as vice president for student development, and I was in charge of discipline. And so we would have students that would uh, choose to disobey our code of conduct and and so i would have to investigate and figure out along with my staff what exactly happened and we'd get folks we we get an idea of who was involved and and i'd call them in one at a time and in, invariably if there was a group of them involved there'd be at least one who as i ratcheted up the pressure they would say uh, the game's up well i did it i confess don't you think the disciples, not, not all of them would have maintained a uniform story through the arrest and the torture and the death, the martyrdom that was happening. No, no, it wasn't like, I mean, if that had happened, don't you know one of them would have said, uh, uh, no, we faked it, the body's over there in Mary's garage. If it was the chief priest, don't you know as the Christians started to preach the resurrection, as the church gained steam, don't you know they would have said, no, we've got the body, if they were the ones that took it. Don't you know the Roman soldiers, that they would have, what, as the, the, the started to speculate, and the rumors spread that, that he was alive, don't you know, no, we got the body, we're out of trouble, we're not getting in trouble. No. So, did he swoon? I believe not. Was he stolen? I believe not. Mary, in her grief, in her shock, makes a mistake. She thinks he's stolen. She thinks it's a case of thievery, which leads to the next possibility for the empty tomb. It is a mystery. That's how Peter responds. Uh, we read it in verses 3 through 7. So Peter and the other disciple, that's John, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. There's no passage in the New Testament that there is more running. Mary ran, then they hear the news, and, and uh, though Luke 24, 11 says they didn't really believe, they had to go check it out anyway. So Peter and John start running. Isn't it interesting in the Bible, uh, we hear this written by John, and we hear that two guys start running, and what happens? It turns into a race. It turns into a race, and John just happens to mention that he got there first. He won the race, right? Now, 
to be fair to Peter, scholars think he was at least 15 years older than John. John was a younger disciple. But they get there and we read what happens. He bent over and looked in, John does, looked in at the strips of linen. You know what that Greek word is? Saw. He visibly observed it. He looked at the strips of linen lying there but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came in uh, along behind him and went straight into the tomb, which Simon Peter always does. He rushes right in. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Now, you need to know that that saw in verse 7 is a different word in Greek. It is theare which you probably can hear our English word, theory. It means to investigate. It means to examine. It means, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to wrap my head around this thing. And we do that, don't we? If we're struggling in a relationship, we say, I can figure this out. If if we're having financial, I I can figure, I I just need to, to figure out what I can do about it. I think maybe there's a lesson here that, when we have struggles, we don't need to go it alone. We need to, to seek God's guidance, God's wisdom in dealing with that relationship struggle or that financial difficulty. We need to, to allow the Spirit to lead us and give us discernment in that. But, but that's another sermon for another day. What you need to hear is that Peter sees this thing and he doesn't know what to think. In fact, Luke twenty four twelve says it this way. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Marveling what had happened. Not knowing, really, what to think. And I I think that's where a lot of folks are today. Even maybe some of us. We we think that Jesus was a good man. We, We think that... He did a lot of great things. He taught in ways that were supernaturally wise. But we're just not ready to jump all in into believing that he was resurrected. He did come back to life. We call that agnosticism. It's not believing he didn't exist. It's not saying it's all a lie. But it's also not saying I believe wholeheartedly. It's sitting on the fence. It's staying neutral. It's maybe believing but not fully committing. That's where Peter was. Maybe that's where you are today. Which leads to our third witness, our third perspective. Mary thought it was a case of thievery. Peter is mystified. It's a mystery for him. Where John gets there and he responds with faith. He responds by believing Verses 8 and 9. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and what? He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. That is a different word. That saw. That saw means I get it. That saw means, and we use English in the same way. One of the definitions, you look it up in the dictionary for see is, is the same. It's Not so much seeing with our eyes, it's understanding. It's that aha when you get it. I see. It's kind of like that movie Avatar when the the Navi say to each other, I see you. They're saying not I put my eyes on you, but I get you. I understand. I see what you're really about. I see the real you. That's what 
the word here means John saw. He got it. The light bulb went off. And no doubt he started thinking about lots of different scriptures like it gave us there in verse 9. The disciples saw, but they, they just didn't put it together. But, but John sees it and he responds. For example, in John chapter 2, the Jews then responded to him. They were challenging Jesus uh, because he said, I am the Son of God. What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? In other words, he could have been doing his miracles from demonic power or some other source of power. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Uh, if you, I encourage you to put yourself in, in these different scriptural accounts. You, can't you just see them rolling their eyes and like, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it in three days? Like, whatever. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. We have the benefit of hindsight. We have all of the scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament. These disciples, we should give a break because in their shock, in their grief, they don't remember right away, but, but we have that. It's why we study the Old Testament here. Because in the Old Testament, you see many prophecies about the coming Messiah, about Jesus. You see, if you're looking, you see Jesus in almost every chapter, in almost every book. Yes, there are names we can't pronounce. Yes, there are, there are stuff we don't really understand, customs and cultures. But it's vital for us to study the Old Testament. And Jesus said, you, the, all the, the prophecy about what will happen is there. And I fulfilled all of it, is basically what he's saying. And then they, they recalled it. They got it, right? That is a theme that we see repeated. Uh, one of the cool things that happened on the day of resurrection is told to us in Luke chapter 24. There, uh, it seems Jesus in his resurrected body, he, he came up on a couple guys that were walking on the road to Emmaus. And he goes up to them and says, hey guys, what are y'all talking about? And they're like, where, where have you been? Haven't you checked your Facebook or Twitter? I mean, don't you know what's been going on in Jerusalem today? Haven't you heard that that place where they put Jesus is empty? Some thinks he was stolen. Some thinks he, he lives again. What, what have you been doing today? And we get Jesus' response in verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? In other words, was this something all prophesied in the Old Testament and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, which is another way of saying, he started quoting the Old Testament, teaching the Old Testament scriptures to them. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We have those same prophecies, and you check it out. Every one of them was fulfilled in the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And then we get that purpose statement in John 19.35. The man who saw it, that's John, has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. I want you to think about that scripture, and instead of the you, he says these things, he writes these things so that Sid may believe put your name there so that you might believe so that you might get off the fence john sees the empty tomb and he gets it 
he understands. He chooses to respond in faith. All of us have a choice. How do we see that empty tomb? John fleshes this out in verses 30 and 31 of John 20. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Friends, I think the preponderance of the evidence leads me to that same place that I believe that Jesus lives again. But even more, I believe that Jesus, because he lives, I too can live. Every one of us will share a common destiny. We might not always live in the same place. We might not always have the same job. But we all one day will breathe our last. These things are written so that you might know that death does not have to be the end. That you can have a new body. That you can live in a new heavenly city where there's no more pain, no more mourning, no more tears. You can choose to believe and it makes a difference. It changes everything. You see, if I didn't believe the resurrection, I wouldn't be here. There's no reason for Christianity to have the investment of myself and your investment if the resurrection is not true. I believe of all of the different evidences, you, you, you have to come to that conclusion. But, but it's your choice. C.S. Lewis said Jesus was either a liar or a lunatic or he was Lord. He's who he says he is. And that reality can make such a difference. A lot of us walked into this place with secret stuff. A lot of us walked in here with, with shame and guilt from our past, from our habits, even now that we have that we know God wouldn't have. I, I think if God can overcome the grave, if God can overcome death, if Jesus could be raised again, I think God can help you with whatever you're dealing with. I think God can hear your confession. I think he can provide for you forgiveness and extend to you his grace and mercy. I think he can give you new life. That's what that scripture said. These things are written so that you might have life. Maybe we should think of it this way, not seeing is believing, but believing is seeing enough. Believing is seeing enough. Believing is choosing to make that step of faith. You know, I had a professor in Bible college tell me that you could take a test tube and fill it up about 80% full of evidence for Jesus being who he said he was, for all of the events that are given to us in the scriptures being true. There's lots of evidence, but it doesn't fill all the way up. That last 20% has to be you choosing to believe, you choosing to have faith. Here's the question for you today and for you to wrestle with this week. How do you see the empty tomb? What's your perspective? Do you buy the swoon theory? Do you buy the stolen body theory? I I really don't think there are many other answers for the tomb being empty. Or do you believe that he was raised from the dead? You know, when I was a boy, I believed in the Loch Ness Monster. Didn't believe so much. I hadn't really wrestled with the stories in the gospel. 
Now I don't believe in the Loch Ness Monster, but I believe in all that I have in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And that means that I'm, if all these scriptures about him came true, then all the other teaching in scripture is true. There's a better way for me to live. There's a way for me to live not to please myself, but to please God, to seek to please God in my marriage, to seek to please God as I lived in my family, with my workplace, with all the relationships that I have. I tell you this, if you will get off the fence and believe, if you will be all in, I believe you will have a different, better marriage. I believe you can have a different, better relationship with your kids and with your parents and your grandparents and your grandkids. I believe you can have a better and different relationship at your workplace, in your neighborhood, because people who live for Christ are better people. Because he lives, your life can change dramatically, but it is your choice. We Christians are different. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we live by faith and not by sight. It's kind of like those three different words for Saul I was telling you about. A lot of us live by what we can see visibly. And maybe we live lives of examination. We, we want to dig into stuff. But, but maybe the way we need to live is by faith, with the eyes of faith and not sight. Us seeing God and us seeing Jesus. Aha, I get it. I understand. And then Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I testify to you this. I believe the tomb was empty because Jesus lives today. How do you see the tomb? Fathers, we think about these things. I pray you've given us insight. Uh, You've helped us to think with our minds about the empty tomb. But I pray you've also touched us through your spirit you've convicted us <clears throat> maybe some of us didn't realize how many doubts we had until we you start digging into your word today but you showed us help us to get off the fence help us to fully believe help us to live all out for you others of us maybe aren't ready to make that decision I pray that we'll ask the questions. We'll have the conversations. Because I, I believe it's the central question of life, of human existence. Is Jesus who he said he was? I thank you, Father, for this day. I thank you for this time to come. I pray that you speak to us, you convict us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.